We are going to continue our teaching this morning in Ephesians chapter 5. And so if you're just now joining us, we've been teaching through the book of Ephesians, the letter of Ephesians. Now, what's fun in this and what could be challenging is some of you may get frustrated sometimes. The fun thing about teaching through the Bible is we teach when we get to that certain part. And today, I'm going to offer you, right, from Paul's letter, a stern warning to those who are professing Christians but I also want to offer a lot of hope. And so if there's a point in the service today where you're feeling like, oh my gosh, why did I come today? I should have just slept in. This is a perfect weekend to do that, right? I want you to hang in there with me because know that I'm not picking on you. Again, this is the fun thing about Scripture. We're just teaching through the letter, and we're to Ephesians chapter 5. Now, the first three chapters of Ephesians to kind of set this up, Paul gives no instruction to the reader. He is just talking about all the great things that Jesus is. I even talked about earlier that we are in my prayer, that we are in Christ. Eleven times in chapter 1, Paul uses that phrase, in Christ. Like, that's where the believer sits, is in Jesus. And for the first three chapters, he's just given Jesus' resume on his goodness and his greatness and what that means for you and I. But when he gets into chapter 4, Paul shifts and he starts talking about the behavior of the saints. Now, if you're not a saint, and what I mean by that, if you're not a person who is a confessing Jesus follower, this is not for you. I hope that it inspires you to step into that relationship with Jesus. I think some of you are here and you're seeking. You're here with a family member. You're here with a friend. And you're kind of pursuing or intrigued by the things of God. If that's you, I hope that today you're inspired by what Jesus has done for you. But for a lot of you, specifically at the 930 service, I know that you walk with Jesus. And that's why you come. This is kind of like the church crowd, I call it, right? And so this letter is written to those who are following Jesus and pointing their life in his direction. And so he says, this is the behavior of the saints. Like there is a way that we act in the kingdom of God. There are certain things that we do and certain things that we don't do. Now, at the end of chapter four, Paul says this. I'm going to turn there in my scriptures. It's going to be on your bulletin. Let me get here. At the end of chapter four, Paul says this. Uh, Let me find it. He says, verse 22, you were taught with reference to your former way of life to lay aside the old man who is being corrupted in accordance with the uh, deceitful desires to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new man who has been created in God's image in righteousness and holiness that comes from truth. And we're going to start there this morning because Paul starts, uh, we read in our Bible, Paul actually didn't number these chapter five and verses that came much later, but we read in chapter five where the first word is therefore. Right? And I heard a pastor say the cheesy line one time, whenever you see the word therefore, then you need to check and see what it's. Uh, yeah, so we want to know why it's there for. And Paul's saying, so with you, just kind of a recap, Paul says that in chapter 4 that we take off, right? Like, and I used this illustration two weeks ago. You can go back online and listen to this. That It's this idea that maybe you just, if you had a zipper from head to toe, that you just, right? And you lay off this old man, this old woman, your old lifestyle. And not that you begin to renew yourself. It says, let the spirit renew you. And I shared how, how often we just set our minds to it and we go after it right? Like we're going to buckle down and we're going to achieve and we're going to accomplish it. And that's how a lot of my life was spent as a Jesus follower. And all of a sudden in all of my striving and all of my pursuing to be like Jesus, there wasn't really a consistent, clear time when I was abiding with Jesus. I was trying to impress him and be a do-gooder, but neglecting the time where I actually sit and abide with the father. And again, I read my Bible, but it was more like cramming for that college exam. 
or it was out of obligation and not relationship. And how Jesus began to reveal to me through life circumstances that, man, it's about just sitting with me and resting in me. We use that word abiding. If you're following me on the blog, it's here on purpose. That you just sit and you read and, and, and you let me minister through you. But the Spirit is the one that renews you. Some of you, the reason that you can't overcome what you're trying to overcome is because you're the one trying to overcome it. Sit in Jesus and let your affections begin to burn for him greater than that thing. And the third thing he says, so we've taken off and we've let the spirit begin to renew us, which is not a, the spirit is not a microwave. It's even slower than a crock pot, right? Now, sometimes you feel like you're in a pressure cooker, right? But the truth is it takes time for the spirit to do his work. The really theological term would be sanctification. Jesus doing his work in your life. Not something you do, there's something the Spirit does. But in that process, Paul says that we are to put on the new man, right? And that's what we're going to talk about today, putting on the attributes of God, putting on what a Jesus lifestyle looks like. And so Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, therefore, because you've laid off, because the Spirit is renewing, because you are putting on this new God-man, be imitators of the things of God. Right? Read that with me in Ephesians 5, 1, the best you can, therefore be imitators of God. I wanted, you, I wanted you to know this this morning. Your life will always reflect either him or them. Nobody in here is a vampire. Everybody has a reflection. Okay? You will either reflect him, him being Jesus and the things of God, or you will reflect them. Now, who is them? I'm referring to what Paul referred to in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. We talked about this two weeks ago, the empty-headed, mindless crowd. Your life is either reflecting, right, the things that God is doing in you, or it's reflecting those that you are hanging out with, that empty-headed, mindless crowd that are pursuing their own lust, whether it's physical or eternal, things that are uh, scratching specific itches in their life. And I'm going to end with this, but I want to start with it. If some of you, the simple thing to do that will completely change your life is to get new friends. Not new friends doing the same stuff, but new friends that are pursuing Jesus. And if you just did that, your life will be pointed in a different direction. Some of you can go home right now because you've heard what Jesus wanted to say to you. Others of us, nobody got left, so I'm going to keep going. All right. <laughs> Therefore, be imitators of God. Have you ever seen somebody that looks like an adult but acts like a child? Oh, my goodness. Aren't they fun? Aren't they just a pleasure? To, now, that used to be you, maybe, or maybe that is you. Maybe somebody just elbowed you in the ribs, right? But someone who looks like a man but acts like a child. Man, they're frustrating. How many times have we seen someone that says they're a Jesus follower but acts like something completely different? Now, you don't always get that at first glance because, you know, we know how to play the game. But when you begin to hang with people and serve with people and walk beside them, all of a sudden you begin to see the cracks in their life and you see times when they get squeezed and you see what comes out when people get squeezed. Man, how does it look like? to be imitators of God. Again, I'm not asking you to listen. Today, you're not allowed to look in the rearview mirror. Because looking in the rearview mirror, uh, this week, my son Luke was being chased by our student pastor, Jake. A grown man chasing a three-year-old, all right? <laughs> Luke instigated it, okay? And Jake was just playing. I'm picking on Jake. But Luke runs like this. That's how Luke runs. And I've tried to help him. Luke, don't. You know what Luke did? That black pole right back there by Miss Judy Swisher, smack dab into it. 
I'm hoping Luke learned his lesson. Oftentimes in the car this week, I'm driving, Luke's in his car, say, Daddy, look what I can do. Look, 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 Luke. I'll say, remember what happened to you this week when you were running with your head turned around? What happened? I hit that pole. Yeah. You want me to hit that car? No, Daddy, not a good idea. I said, I got to look forward. I got to look where I'm going. Same thing spiritually. Not allowed to do life today in the rearview mirror. I want to talk to you about onward, forward. Are you with me? All right. Ephesians 5.3, Paul says this. But among you, talking again to the Christ follower, those who are confessing Jesus followers, he says, among you, there must not be either sexual, sexual immorality, impurity of any kind, or greed. This is where it's going to get hard. And why, if you choose to look in the rearview mirror, you could beat yourself up really well. I want to give you vision, but I want to give you stern vision. Okay? But among you, there must not be either sexual immorality, impurity of any kind, or greed, as these are not fitting for the saints. I gave you three definitions, and these are just kind of my definitions, right? Webster's would have something different. But I, I think, honestly, that there's really not a lot of need to define sexual morality, impurity, and greed, because everybody kind of knows what those things are. But I wanted to remove an obstacle and just kind of lay those out. But I want to go in a specific order, because I, I want you to know how these have been effective in my life and how the Lord has done a work in me. For whatever reason, I'm going to go in the order of how I think God has done primary works in my life, Okay. For whatever reason, as a 19-year-old young man, kid, um, I was managing a fast food restaurant when, I, when, I, when Jesus found me and I began to point my life after him very, very faithfully. The first thing that the Lord went to work on me, for whatever reason, was generosity. The very first biblical principle I learned was about tithing, was about giving, and I just trusted the Lord with it. Some of the men that I was walking with were older than me, and they talked about how God had done that in their life. And I'm like, and they weren't wealthy, but they were faithful in their finances. And so as a 19-year-old, I started tithing. Now, I'm not saying that tithing is the benchmark for your generosity. I don't want to be that bold today, okay? But I wanted you to hear that generosity was the first thing that the Lord went after me as a young man. When my paychecks were much smaller than they are today, and today they're not that great, but they're bigger than they were when I was managing Taco Bell. All right, are you with me? <clears throat> Love Taco Bell. Um, <laughs> It's different. But I established then what generosity was going to look like. My wife and I have always been generous people. We, I mean, in our context of like percentage of giving, there's always more that we could give. But that's the first thing that the Lord messed with me on was, Matt, are you going to be a greedy kingdom citizen or are you going to be a generous kingdom citizen? And as I've gotten older, that's been redefined and it's changed. That is something, I'm just telling you, based on here what Paul is going to say, that is something that the Lord wants to work in your life as well. Now, the second thing, really quickly behind the first thing that happened in my life, because I was a young dude, single and dating, was sexual immorality. And culture often defines, unfortunately, and I disagree with this, but culture is sneaky, and it begins to define for us what is okay and what is not okay. And sexual immorality, and you can do your own little word search on it, right? And you can define it either what culture says, or you can define it by, based on the biblical practices. I'm going to side with the Bible, even if the culture screams at me, okay? And I'm okay with that. Jesus said, they hated me, they're going to hate you. Now, if it's your goal in life for everybody to like you, you're going to struggle with some of this stuff. Because we in culture, the culture that we are part of, begins to say that certain things are okay when it comes to sexual immorality. But the idea is very simple. It's sleeping with in a sexual relationship with someone who is not yet your spouse. And the Lord had to go to work on this Christian Matt Miller on what that looked like as I was going to pursue him. And you know what? I just said, yes, Lord. 
And was it always fun and always easy? No. For those of you who have taken part in that activity, stopping it is not much fun. Okay? But it was what the Lord asked me to do. Do you love me more than you love that? More than you love her? More than you like her? And I had to make some spiritual decisions based on what God was asking me to do. There is no difference in your life. I'm not worried about what you did last night. I'm worried about what's going on from onward, forward. Look what he says here. Greed, sexual immorality are not fitting for the saints. The third one, and I think the one that is the most consistently in my life, is this impurity of any kind. And I I put in there in the bulletin, anything that distorts the image of God, therefore be imitators of Christ. I said that your life reflects either him or them. And impurity is anything that when you look in the reflection of of your life, that if it distorts you looking more like Jesus, you looking more like uh, God's plan for your life. And this is something that you just got to stay in front of and you got to stay on top of because then it, it can just sneak in on you. I'll tell you how this happened to me last night. Perfect time for an illustration. I really enjoy the TV show on Netflix, House of Cards. I don't know if any of you guys watch that, but I, I watch it. And uh, season three just got released at the end of February, 1st of March. And I was probably on episode four. And watching it last night, Jen doesn't care about it. She was asleep. In this episode, uh, Frank Underwood, played by Kevin Spacey, he's the president of the United States. He is kind of having this spiritual tension for whatever reason, because he's not a spiritual dude, if you know this movie. And he, he finds himself in a Catholic church talking to the bishop. And the bishop is talking to him about the things of Jesus and about the things that identify the believer is that we love. And I'm watching this show, and I'm like, where's it going to go? Because, you know, and here's where it went. Frank asked the bishop if he could have some time alone to pray. And the bishop walks out, and I'm laying in bed, and I'm watching this, and Frank Underwood walks up to this huge statue of Christ on the cross, gets right up in the face of this statue of Jesus, and says, you're all about love? I ain't buying it. And spits in Jesus' face. Now, I don't, you may have watched that episode and it not affected you. It fired me up. And, and I didn't finish the episode. In that moment, I said, Lord, I'm not watching this. This is impurity for me. How am I, been preparing for this teaching for over a month now, reading through the scriptures, and I see somebody literally spit in the face of you, whether it's a fictional TV show or what, I'm not going to get behind that because it's impure for me. You say, Matt, that's crazy. It's a TV show. Good. I'm crazy. But I know in my life, as I'm trying to look more like Jesus, that didn't sit well with me, and it fired me up. And I know he's a fictional character, but I don't like the dude. (laughs) It's crazy. I know. I'm silly. What are you allowing in your life that is spitting in the face of Jesus? Guys, listen. Well, I put it in here like this. It says there, these are not fitting. And I wanted you to put this in your outline. Immorality impurity and greed no longer look good on you. When you think about fitting, we took off the spirits renewing, we put on this new man in Christ. You're here in church, it is by no accident, I don't care if you were dragged here, it is by no accident, the Father has been pursuing you every day of your life. He is trying to get your attention because you pursue sexual immorality and you pursue greed, getting, getting your share and you pursue or allowing impure things into your life that are distorting the image of God, listen, saints, those of you who are following Jesus, those no longer look good on you. Why do you keep putting them on? It's really easy for me. As much as I love that TV show, my affections are greater for Jesus than for that. 
What are you going to step away from? What are you going to move closer towards? Now, if you'll turn your bulletin over to the other side, I want you to notice something. Ephesians 5, 5, just down a few verses. I'm learning from our Monday night Bible study, primarily led by Charlie Blair, that when you see something in Scripture repeated, specifically close, like I said in Ephesians 1, 11 times Paul writes in Christ, you can assume that's a pretty strong theme. Agreed? Here in chapter 5, we're going to see these three things listed again in this list. But look how sternly Paul writes it for the saints. Now, this is where I want to, I'm going to, I'm going to lean into you. Again, and I'm going to say it like this. If you are a confessing Jesus follower, hear these words because they have a huge implications on your life. Are you ready? So just tell the enemy to shut up. Pay attention to what Paul says here for the second time. And look how he says it. For you can be confident of this one thing. How often do you see that in Scripture? Not very often. Paul's writing very forcefully. You, Jesus' follower, can be confident of this one thing, that no person, not some, no person, I don't care how good you look, no person is, uh, who is immoral, impure or greedy, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. That scares the snot out of me. And it gives me vision, like a healthy fear for the Lord. That when I read that and I watch some silly TV show where something happens that I disagree with, I'm turning it off. Why? Because that's impure and I'm not letting it into Matt Miller's realm of life. No different for you in those three categories. Sexual morality, impurity, and greed. There is no inheritance in the kingdom of God and Christ. Now, I want to point out two things to you in that, in that chapter. The first thing is that Paul doesn't say that there's not an inheritance for you. He says there's not an inheritance in Christ. Everybody here is getting something. Let me say that again. Everyone here is going to get an inheritance. I said it like this earlier, or I, I wanted to say this to you. You will arrive to the party that you are dressed for. Remember those things that I said are not fitting for you? Your inheritance is waiting for you, and you're going to show up, and based on what you have fitted yourself with, is going to be the party at which you get to attend. And I want to say this to us really, really clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, and greed are not things that God puts on you. I want to phrase it like this. If all of a sudden you come down with cancer, that's a different spiritual conversation, right? You didn't go out and put that on. You didn't pursue that. It just happened. If you've experienced great loss, a death of a loved one, you, you, didn't, you didn't put that on. Life brought that to you. That's a different spiritual conversation. But you stand at the closet of your life and you choose to have sex. You choose to allow impure things into your life. You, achieve, you choose to be greedy. God does not put those things on you. You can't say, God, it's your fault. It's not God's fault. You chose to put those on. As a saint, those don't look good on you any longer. But if you choose to wear them, know this, an inheritance is waiting for you. You're going to arrive at the party that you are fitted for and dressed for, but you may not like it once you get there. What's your dress like? The second thing I want you to notice is this out of that Ephesians 5, chapter 5, verse 5. There is a specific style. There is a specific look in the kingdom of God. The people of God dress a certain way. 
There's a certain way that we should carry ourselves. And I'm not saying perfection, but I'm saying pursuing the things of the Lord. And my challenge to you is don't spit in the face of Jesus. Some of you, it would have been better if you wouldn't have come this morning because now you know. And I hope Ephesians 5 verse 5 sticks with you as a vision caster for why you do what you do. And why you don't do certain things. Notice there's not this long list. He gives three things. You can be certain that if you pursue those three things, you have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now that's heavy. But thank God that Paul doesn't stop there. What do we do, Paul? Well, look what he says. At the end of verse 5, I mean in the middle of verse 5 in chapter 14, Paul quotes a, a combination of scriptures from Isaiah. And he says this, Awake, O sleeper! Arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. And then he moves into my favorite section of Ephesians. Therefore, right? Because of all of these things that I've just talked about, because of this great thing you have to be careful of about your inheritance. He says, therefore, be careful how you live. Man, I'm telling you, if you think the Christian life is willy-nilly and you just get up and go, Woo, I'm gonna no, 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 no. It's full of intentionality. And I know some of us, we don't plan to go up and screw up our lives, but we also don't plan not to. And you're just kind of going with it. And I want to encourage you, man, to therefore... Be careful how you live, not as the unwise, but as the wise, Paul says in verse 15 and 17. Taking advantage of every opportunity, because the days are evil for this reason. Do not be foolish, but be wise by understanding what the Lord's will is. And I said this earlier, and I'm going to land the plane with this. The best way to pursue a godly life is to walk with godly people. The best way to pursue a godly life is to walk with godly people. And I know it's a challenge for some of us. Actually, it's a challenge for everyone who's had to make this decision. But there is a time when it comes to pursuing Jesus that you have to change the crowd in which you walk. I shared this quote two weeks ago. I want to share it again. Andy Stanley, one of my favorite pastors out of North Point, Atlanta, he says this, the direction of your friends will determine the direction of your life. If you're hanging out with the empty-headed, mindless crowd, I can tell you how you're dressed, and I can tell you where you're headed. And I'm telling you, it's fun along the way. But the destination's not, not, not fitting for you. It's not fitting for you. The directions of your friends will determine the direction of your life. Uh, John Maxwell is a famous business leadership guy. One of the first books I can remember reading as a young leader is The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. And law number 11 was always my favorite. It's the law of the inner circle. And John Maxwell writes the chapter on this, on this premise. A leader's potential is determined by those closest to him. It's the same idea. If you were to walk in the room and the only way we knew to judge you was based on those who were surrounding you, what would people think about your current relationships? Would they say, here comes trouble or here comes the Lord? Here comes a woman of God. Here comes a man of God or here's a knucklehead. What would people say about you based on those that you rub shoulders with? Who is sharpening you? Who is maybe making your life dull? Man, I'm telling you, these are things that you can't ignore. And Paul says, therefore, be wise. Now, I want to share with you a video that we shot of a dear friend. And some of you, several of you guys know this man. His name's Pete Kerwin. And I got to be a part of a lot of Pete's um, life. 
um, I, I came into Pete's life just after he'd made a profession for Jesus. And I got to see Pete grow, and I got to watch Pete fall in love, and I got to, uh, the honor of inviting Pete to come on our staff in a part-time role to lead worship at Edgerton. But the Pete Kerwin that I know today is not necessarily the Pete Kerwin that I met almost four years ago. And so I asked Pete, and myself and Jake and Curtis met with Pete, and we said, Pete, would you tell us a little bit about your story and how you got from there to here? And I'm hoping that it inspires you. I think it's a powerful story. Let's watch this together now. <laughs> 